This is Mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Today, I am here with a brilliant marketing leader. Pay attention, folks. We've got Linda Lee, the Chief Marketing Officer for Campbell's Soup in the studio. Linda has a background that includes, we're talking over 20 years of building some of the world's most epic brands. You might've heard of them, Procter & Gamble, General Mills, to name a couple. Now she's been leading marketing at Campbell's Soup for almost three years. Linda Lee, welcome to Marketing Trends. Thank you so much. So excited to be here with you. I'm pumped to chat with you. Our production team has been excited about this conversation because you know you sit at the helm of a really interesting brand, also at this intersection of what does it even mean to be a modern day CMO right now? I mean, you have a lot of experience you know, in this kind of CPG world, big brands, a lot of experience and perspective. What does it even mean to be a CMO in 2022 to you? For me, um, partly it's because I didn't grow up in marketing. Uh, Even though I've been in the industry for over 20 years, it's really the back half that I've been in marketing. And so not only have I been building brands, I've been actually making the products themselves. I've been in product development, to insights, to innovation before coming into marketing. And I think that was not purposeful, but certainly has been useful in today's modern um, chief marketing officer types of roles, which really are multifaceted at the highest level. I would say it's about connecting consumers, um, connecting to consumers to drive growth. Um, Certainly, it's about not only delivering today's business goals and brand goals, but paving the way for a brighter, more sustainable future ongoing. Mm. Now, you mentioned your background and not coming from the marketing world. I want to touch on that because I think it's really interesting that you have a chemical engineering background from Cornell. That's right. Magna cum laude, by the way. Shout out, Linda. Well done. (laughs) It wasn't summa. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Okay. So I know based on that alone, like I know your brain is thinking much like an engineer, right? Now you're sitting at the helm of of marketing for a huge global brand at Ken Campbell Soup. 
how does that chemical engineering background really play? Because I could see if the, the right brain, left brain piece being really interesting for you based on where you come from. But do you draw on that much these days? What's it like now kind of having that background, thinking like an engineer, and then, of course, being a marketing leader? Yeah, I'd say two ways. One is creative problem solving. That is definitely what I bring from my chemical engineering education. Um, and in that creative problem solving, the basis of it is what I call the scientific method, um, how you look at a, articulate a problem, identify the assumptions, creating the hypotheses that you then gather data to test and repeat a bit um, before you get to a conclusion. But the creativity of which you then solve problems within the box, that is definitely also from my education. Um, certainly on the left brain, especially today, data, you know, is, is almost um, a, an ante. And if anything, your ability to not just ingest data, but to decide what data is most important, what is not, how you define um, that ecosystem of which you're uh, drawing information from, but then understanding advanced analytics and the role of that to helping you with decision-making and gaining insights. Um, all of that is, I think, all in the toolkit today in being a CMO. And you you joined you, know, you joined Campbell's. I think it was late in 2019. Really interesting time in the world. Obviously, things that you know that are occurring in the world at that time. You're now coming up on three years. You also had a chance to be involved in a pretty pretty big deal in like the redesign of the soup can, which of course you've talked a little bit about in other interviews. But I want to just kind of go into those take us into those conversations. I mean, this was the first. I believe this was the first like redesign in over 50 years. We're talking about a brand that's a very long 153 time. year old brand, deep deep roots, deep family roots. So this is not to me an easy thing to do, but take us into the into those conversations and how that even came to be. So I came into this about, I want to say almost six months into the redesign. And um, as part of my onboarding, they shared with me the latest round of creative of ideas. And probably my first bold move in my role came very quickly because in seeing those designs, I quickly paused the project and ask the question of what is the problem we're trying to solve? So full circle a little of just how my mind works is you have to be clear on what's that problem to be solved. And in seeing the designs, it was clear to me that we weren't. And so we had, a, I always say, you got to slow down before you can speed up. We slowed down, we slowed way down to clarify what we needed to achieve, what was success, and actually what ended up being critical conversation was our assumptions around what was inbounds and what was out of bounds. My perspective as to what was inbounds was much broader than what the team was working with. And as you can imagine, if you're a creative on this, it just, it feels that your handcuffs are, are taken off a bit you also then have a much clearer goal, which I articulated it as I want, you know, when we're in our shopping mode, we're, we're all on autopilot and you're just trying to get in, get out, 
that could not have been more true during the pandemic, of course. Um, but you want to get in, get out, and there's a lot of distractions. And you're, you know, the goal was as someone is walking down that soup aisle or walking past a soup display, they see something familiar, but yet something interesting too. And so it's the, I want to be able to have someone pause, take a few steps back, re, you know, re-look at something's different. What is it? And then drawing them in that way. So um, that became that became an, uh, just an important uh, pause that really helped us speed up moving forward. So I do, I am curious because you, you said that, you know, the, here, here we go, the, the Campbell's Soup logo is being redesigned, huge deal, but you weren't even there in the beginning. You came in six months after that process had already started. And it sounds like you came in and started asking questions. So to me, there's already a lot of momentum behind what they're doing. There's, there's, there's movement, there's decisions. Now you're coming in and asking some fantastic questions as the marketing leader, but how are you able to start to kind of build trust and rapport with the folks who, you know, you're coming in from the outside, they've already got this thing going down the road. This is a huge deal, obviously, because this brand is very old, has never done anything like this. What's kind of your approach there? Like in the early days of you're noticing things that need to happen, but how are you building trust and rapport with the other stakeholders in the early days? For me, there are different sets of stakeholders, obviously. And the folks who are closest in on the action, the teams, the agencies, those stakeholders, I do think it is just around, you got to be real. And that is my style is to be direct, to have the conversations with everyone who's involved at the table, um, to ask a lot of questions, to caveat my questions or my thoughts with the fact that I don't know. And I'm reacting from truly a pure, pretty purist consumer basis. Everything I was asking and saying, people felt already intuitively. And it wasn't like I was bringing something up from left field that didn't make sense. Ultimately, I'm a pretty logic-driven person. And it is when the logic doesn't connect is what drives those questions. And I feel like if I'm asking those, I'm not the only one. It's just that I might be the first to put it out into, you know, into the world for us to react to. Um, but uh, you could, I probably test, test it by my ability to bring others along through the energy. So if, if it energizes and spurs and sparks more conversation, more ideas, um, there's a lightness, uh, an excitement. That's always a good signal that others are feeling it too. And ultimately, my job is to bring out the best out of everyone else. And if I'm doing that, man, you know, I'm having a good day. Doesn't mean it always may feel that way in the moment, but certainly that's my goal is ultimately to get there with everyone. Where did that start for you? This, because to me, what I see in some of the greatest CMOs that I've connected with, it's the soft skills that they've developed. I mean, they have an understanding of, of strategy, of course, and, and marketing mix, and they've, they've got that. But there's just this really like interesting approach that they have to connecting with people. I'm like, because there's the, to me, the magic of how someone like you 
got to the to to be where you're at now, it's 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 not so much your marketing prowess, which is high. It's the way you connect with people. And so I love that you talked about how is the team responding? What what sparks are being initiated? So my question to you is like, where did that start? Was that a P&G thing you, you started doing back in the day or General Mills? Or where did you start to cultivate that of like, let's see how people are responding to this and let's see how much momentum that creates? You know, I think it's because I didn't start in marketing. I started in R&D, then I moved into consumer insights. These um, functions sometimes are viewed as support functions, not the ones who get handed the driver's kind of the leader hat. And I found even as a young engineer, you know, straight out of college, I found myself having coffees with the ABM on the brand and talking about asking questions around the strategy, around the campaign, around the target consumer. I describe it as I've always been in functions or seats that you had no decision right, no control. It was all through influence. And, and so I think just naturally, it, it was by my probably curiosity, but then through the role and the expectations, that was the only way. The only way I could show up was through influence. And so I think um, even when I was in innovation, which was theoretically part of marketing, I was in global innovation. And when you sit in global innovation, you don't have the controls that the regions and the markets have. So again, and I didn't have a lot of resources either, um, just had a little dollars to be able to put against some research and development, but I didn't hold the purse strings and the controls of activating into the marketplace. And so for a long time there, I mean, I want to say that's probably a good 15 years of my career. I've never sat in the theoretical driver's seat, but I've been very vested into the business. And I saw myself and showed up as a business partner first, never let my title or my function limit my influence and limit my questions and back to, I'll do my job, but once I have clarity as to what we're trying to achieve and what our facts are around our direction, um, that makes it the best direction. And then I'll do my piece of it, bring my expertise um, and carry that across the line. So I think it's the upbringing that um, has then flowed through. So today, what I get always tell folks is, you know, I think sometimes there's this belief that, oh, if I could only get higher, if I get higher, I'm going to have more control. And I just, you know, I'm working for that day to get to a CMO role or a VP role to be the person that's in control and, and, you know, driving this um, ship. And the reality is that's not my job. My job isn't, like you said, the the real marketing. My job is how do I build build support? How do I influence my partners, whether they're internal or external? I sometimes joke that in my group, like my group of the marketing group at Campbell, we don't really make anything that the consumer ultimately sees or touches or tastes. We really rely on internal and external partners to make that food to get that food onto the shelf, 
to create the consumer touch point of communications or marketing, that is all done through others. And therefore, our job is to influence in how do we get the best out of our partners. That's just been my my mindset. Mm, I love that. Can you talk about the relationship between the CMO and the CFO. I know it's been brought up in a couple of other interviews, and I think it's so interesting to, to kind of key in on this. And I believe your CFO, is it Mick? Yes. This has been brought up a little bit more lately. In fact, uh, the CMO, a head of marketing for, for Build-A-Bear, she talked about how she would invite her CFO into, like she they flew the CFO to the agency in New York and into the creative meetings. And so the CFO was there with the CMO. And I'm hearing a little bit more of that sort of thing happening it seems also like you value the relationship with the CFO. And so I'm just curious to talk about your approach with that specific role, how you're partnering, how you're collaborating, because you see marketing as not a cost center, but as an investment towards towards growth and performance. Sure. Before getting into the details of that, I would just say anyone who holds a P&L that has a negative sign in front that has spending should view that as investment. So overhead, I see it as investment. You know, our certainly tradesmen is an investment. Our cost of goods, the cost that we put into our food should be treated as an investment. So literally any spending against a business, whoever owns that line should view it as an investment. Not just the CMO, not just the CFO, not just the, you know, CSO or CRO. It literally should be anyone who has an expense, something that shows up as a negative on that balance sheet should treat it as an investment. So that's, that's probably the, the scientist or math, mathematician in me and how I think about that. Now, specifically, what is very much here and now today that uh, Mick and I talk a lot about is the future of data and analytics. And what does that mean? So it doesn't even around marketing, certainly within marketing, I'm asking that question and saying, you know, we definitely put a lot of efforts around measurement, understanding our performance, short-term, long-term across channels, across tactics, across brands, you know, we're doing the best we can to have visibility and to allocate appropriately and to drive the best ROIs, not just uh, ROAS, but true profit ROIs. But the tools have changed. And if you think about shoppable media, retail media, sales and marketing have come together. It's no longer Hey, two separate entities, beginning of the year, we have clear budgets and metrics against each, off you go. It should be, I don't care if it's a sales dollar or marketing dollar, What's where's the next best place to drive that next dollar of investment? And what are the interactions? And now I've got data and ecosystems that close the loop for me. And without even worrying about, do I have my own first-party data, there are certainly second-party data with closed loops that we can utilize to opt learn and then optimize other spending. So that's where we have a lot of the conversations is building for the future. And these are really five, 10-year types of ambitions of what, what the future holds, and then you know break it down to where do we begin. So... It's fun stuff 
to say the least. Do you think that that approach, is that something that's more common now? Or do you feel like you were doing that early day, in early days marketing leadership for you, like the connection to finance leadership? Like, were you, were you doing some of this then? Or do you feel like no. it's just more relevant now? It's more relevant now. Um, I mean, I, th- I think certainly it's also personalities. Um, Mick is incredibly curious and, you know, comes from both big and small backgrounds where I think the the it's all about partnership with people who uh, can see what's possible, are curious about that, are not and are challenging of and open to the idea that, hey, what we have today, is that going to be relevant tomorrow and what um, what's possible? So I do think, you know, partnership is really important to know what kind of partner you're working with. But in the past, I feel like it was very dissociated back to very siloed um, approaches. And, and as a result, I think sometimes, you know, you get into a mode of is how much accountability is in the measurement and performance and how much knowledge exists beyond a function such that finance doesn't feel that marketing is an expense. I think if, if that is the case, then as the CMO, it would be my job to educate and to have, you know, the good thing about, I think, finance is that they're extremely fact-based. Mm-hmm. And so, and if anything, that's what sometimes creates some of the, the uh, tension is because if you don't show up in the language that your audience needs to be able to understand then that's on you, right? To to know your audience. It's back to we're marketers. We should know our audience and how to communicate and connect. And not everyone is going to be the same. Talk about this really cool idea I heard you mention before, the culture vultures. Mm-hmm. I think this is a really interesting. Now, was this a team that you created when you came in or did this already exist before you came in? No, this, this was created um, while I've been here. Okay. So in the last, you know, two, two and a half years. Okay. And and I can't even say I created it, right? It's um, my head of integrated marketing, who is a rock star. It's back to my job isn't to come up with the answers. My job is to really unleash the talent that's on my team and with my partners. Probably the only thing I did was set the challenge of how do we get more agile um, how do we move faster? How do we keep the finger on the pulse of what's happening, not only with our consumers, but also with culture, such that we find the right intersections with um, our brands and what our brands can do to provide utility or comfort? And certainly this was all, you know, during the beginnings of the pandemic. Mm. So I want to make sure I get this right, because it's 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 a combination of the media team, the creative team, the integrated marketing team, they're meeting weekly, they're talking about what's what's inspiring, what's trending and and then you kind of decide like do you do you lean in? Do you do you back away? Do you do you watch it, right? Yes. I I want to hear kind of what are some of the things that have come out of this this team in the last, you know, couple of years since it's been started? And then how do you as the marketing leader like tap into it? Like, is this something where like you're meeting with them weekly? Or are you just looking at some of the stuff they're coming up with? How do you balance it now that it's there and a really cool channel and resource of inspiration? My guess. So first of all, I'm not in those meetings. Okay. Um, and which is a good thing, which is a great thing. 
my guess is that I probably see, I'm going to guess maybe 10%, at most 20% of what comes out. And the ideas could be as small as, hey, Wordle is trending. What can we do on Twitter, you know, with our brands? So that fits into, you know, owned content um, that is of the moment to, you know, Sean McVay wins the Super Bowl. And he, of course, was our spokesperson on Chunky. Um, what can we do there? And th- th- those are some of the more um, real-time content that is very much, I think, the norm today. But it was rebuilding those muscles for for Campbell. The ones that I get involved in, and this is the stuff that gets me excited because I came into an organization that was doing a bit of the annual planning. So we create the strategy, the annual plan, and for the rest of the year, it's all execution. And what gets me really excited is through the culture vulture work, we initiated significant um, activations that were not part of a plan, but because it made sense in that moment, we went for it. And, and so things like uh, the first Thanksgiving that we wrote, we quickly realized it would be like no other. People wouldn't be traveling. You would have so many first time Thanksgiving hosts or makers. Um, how do we help people with that, through that? And it's such an important holiday for Americans. And so we created dinner insurance with Instant Cart. It was something that popped up that we did. And it was basically how do you make sure those sides um, are success? And if not, you know, we've got some dinner insurance for you so that you can enjoy that holiday meal. We also created um, Save the Snow Day when we saw with the virtual schooling that snow days were were being threatened. And for anyone who grew up in the North, those snow days are just an incredible part of childhood and memories. And and so we started a mission that was all around saving those snow days. And and for, you know, brand the iconic red and white brand, the chicken bowl of chicken noodle soup and or tomato soup and grilled cheese. That was so much a part of that experience. And so how do we use our voice and our ability to, to bring light to truly, you know, something that's worthwhile for all the school children? So those were a couple of examples that really spawned um, this. And um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been really great. Cool. You, you've talked in the past about the scorecard being millennials, right? That that generation is like the focus for Campbell's and I'm just curious, why why are millennials the most important? It is because when you look at who's having young families, that's families is really an important entry point to our portfolio. It's not just soup, right, or broth. It's also prego. It's pace. It's um, spaghettios. It's there's uh, all of our brands. V8, all of our brands, um, a big entry point is when you have a young family and you're really thinking about how do I get nutritious meals and food um, on that table uh, that everyone's going to enjoy, but I also have a busy life. And so it's got to be easy, but I believe in homemade food and the value of that, the quality of it. 
So, you know, it's okay to have some shortcuts, um, have a base to begin with. And of course, what is on everyone's mind now is very much is it a good value, you know, um, making that wallet stretch further. Um, these are all the real needs that we have, but do it in a way that everyone still finds a bit of discovery, excitement, you know, can put their own touch onto something and have choice. Um, be able to choose across um, whatever it is that they they want. You've said that one of the goals will be to get consumers to double take, right? When they when they walk down the aisle past the brand where they they may have expectations. What what are some of the things you can you've seen work that you know evoke that double take? I think it's two pieces in captured with familiar with the twist. You want the double take. It'd be a single take if it's just like popped, you know, popped up and was highly disruptive and you can't, you know, you just notice from the get-go. I think that can be a little challenging when you, it comes to iconic brands. That certainly works if you're a challenger brand. But when you're an iconic brand and your audience truly is multifaceted, it isn't just, you know, you're starting small and, any, and you can be choosy to who you're attracting. For iconic brands that truly are wide reach, you have to have the familiarness for those who are already loyal to your brand. And certainly the meaning of your brand has to, you know, you don't want to ever lose that. So the double take comes with the twist. And that is is very much, you know, certainly on a label, um, that's where having things that are are noticeable, it's got to be noticeable. But the, you got to keep the familiar piece. That's on a label. How we've translated that into other touch points with our consumers would be if you notice the music. The music is actually really important on our red and white brand, our advertising. And one of the elements of that music is very much they are familiar tunes, but they have a twist with it because we re-record them. Um, re-record it such that you know the music, yet there's something interesting because of how it was re-recorded that makes you, huh, you know, your ears perk up a bit and say, what what was that that I just heard? And oh, what a, just a, you know, twist on a classic. Um, that probably is just a, a nice phrase for all of our brands is it's bringing that twist onto a classic or might say most of our brands. As the CMO of Campbell's, like, do you take time to look at other CPG brands or other brands that are direct, yeah, direct to consumer or otherwise? Just brands that do you do you kind of look and pay attention to your right and your left and notice things? Do you take time to to study some of the other folks out there? I know there's so much happening in your world, but yeah, what's your perspective on like other brands and seeing what they do to make generations aware of them or make people double take? How much time do you spend there? I would say I spend it through the lens of being a consumer myself. So rather than a practitioner view of the industry, I generally, and I say generally, but you know, I'd say 80% of what I see is truly as a consumer and living my life. Um, so that isn't just me coming across a piece of advertising. It's also the people in my life 
who say to me, I notice what people respond to, what they want to talk about. What it, so, so I think that's always I say to everyone is that being in CPG is amazing because guess what? We are all consumers. And because of that, that's a, just a every minute you should be thinking about it, like soaking it in like a sponge. And when I go to the grocery store, I watch like just the observational research, free, free observational research that occurs in a store is amazing because you're watching people in their element consider, choose, walk away, what grabs their attention, what doesn't. So a lot in just living my life. I feel like there's so much input as well as the reality. The reality is fragmentation and almost um, too much stimulus. What my own media behaviors look like, my media consumption using kind of an industry term, not human speak. Where do I spend my time? How do I get my news? How do I see advertising? How do I learn about new brands? What really pops and that was actually a genesis for we now have a meal culture engine that um, the genesis was when you think about recipes, recipes are so important to our business. Where are you learning new recipes? And I said, you know, to the team of, I think for me, it's through my, my Apple News feed. So how do I get into the feed? So I think just dissecting your own media consumption is a litmus test of how little you see, but also how much you do see and and how do you leverage that as insight into what we do. The other 20%, I would say is, yeah, there's, I do love curation. So the curation of, um, I'm a headline, so kind of a feed person, but into my inbox, you know, I think there's so much great curated um, emails that come through. It's a great way. I have a couple of go-tos that I look at, you know, and it's just a nice way to get a sense of what's happening in the industry. Um, but it's always a little cautious because it's, you know, I think uh, a little industry speak and industry attention to things may not actually be what consumers um, are responding to. You also dove into the NFT world with uh, Americana NFT, uh, which is interesting. And I, there were some brands like Campbell's that kind of stood up from the table of NFT talk and actually went and, and did something, right? We had a lot of marketing leaders on the show. And a lot of them were just like, you know, we're watching, we're observing, we're waiting. But there were brands like Campbell's and others that were like, no, we're going to create something in this space. So just curious now into, you know, it's it's fall into almost winter of 2022. What are you learning right now about that NFT space, that product, that NFT? Tell us what you're observing there. Changing. I mean, there, there's no question. I want to say when we did that NFT, it was almost two years ago. And People was making all the headlines, and that seems so long ago, but it wasn't. And and so it's evolving. It's ever evolving. We entered into the NFT because we had the new labels coming. We know those labels play such a critical point in pop um, art around Warhol. But and so it was a bit of how do we share the news of our new labels? What's inspired it, but do it in a modern way? What does art look like? Pop art look like today? And NFTs at that moment in time absolutely made sense. And we saw it in the responsiveness um, with 
our audience. Now, what it really did when I think back about it is it forced us to quickly learn. There's nothing like learning than just being thrown into the fire. And I'm going to say, like, when my team pitched it, I was very doubtful and skeptical. I had a lot of questions. And I absolutely had the fear of, guys, we cannot be posers. So I know that there's a lot of talk around NFTs, but for an iconic brand who's, you know, modernizing itself, reinventing itself, being a poser is not a good, a good outcome. Um, and it was, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand crypto. I didn't understand NFT. I didn't understand that whole new world. So the lesson was, you know, there, you got to just, you got to trust your team. You got to go in, ask a lot of questions and connect with the experts to educate yourself. But even at the end, I think I was still, you know, I had a little fear. I, I knew we weren't going to do anything badly to the brand, but I didn't know how responsive the media and consumers would be to it. And of course they were. And so sometimes you got to take a leap of faith, absolutely trust your team and acknowledge yourself when you're, you're not necessarily in the know of something. Um, you have to be able to acknowledge that and hold back and let the team do its thing. Mm, I love that. I don't know if you've seen the news, uh, this the recent news thing around, uh, there were a couple of, uh, looks like there were some activists that were, uh, they threw soup on this Van Gogh art piece. Have you seen this? I did. Mm -hmm. Was that a Campbell soup, tomato soup on there? No, or no? Okay. I don't think okay. so. No, okay. no. <laughs> I, well, I was curious if that obviously is a type of press and PR in some way, but is that something that you would have to respond to if they were using Campbell soup? There's always things that are in the news that we definitely keep our eye on, but we don't comment on everything. It's back to when you're an icon, and I would say we're an icon for multiple things, but one of the icons is, you know, it, it, it's an every man, every woman, every family item, everyday life item. And so sometimes it can be used as a way to represent that and so we definitely we don't comment on everything. It's but we're well aware of of what's uh, what's out there. Got it. Okay, let's wrap with this. I want you to imagine that you and I are going to very quickly get in front of two different groups of people. Um, for the first group is going to be your fellow CMOs and marketing leaders out there. So just kind of in closing, what would you share with another fellow brilliant marketing leader like yourself that's in the same seat as you at the helm of 20, you know, 2022 and beyond, what message would you share with marketing leaders? And then we'll go to what you would share with uh, folks coming up in the ranks. With my fellow marketing leaders, I would share two things. One, definitely don't get sucked into just the here and now. What are you building that is for five years from now? Not even three years, but five years from now. Um, what is it that you're building such that you're leaving the organization in a much stronger place beyond yourself, beyond your tenure? The second thing for my peers, it would be it's okay to be fired and, and in fact, embrace. Embrace that. And I say that in a way of if we're afraid that we're going to get fired, we're not going to do the right thing. You got to believe in yourself, believe that you are doing the best you can. Um, you have a vision 
that you've got confidence in. And if you're fired for that, that's okay. That's doing your job in some ways. I know that sounds crazy, but I I think that freedom to pursue what you believe is right. um, I I do think that's important in uh, driving the business, not just for today, but for tomorrow too. To others, um, I would say, you know, who are earlier in their career, who aspire. I know there is, especially CPG marketing, there's this adage of up or out. It's a, you know, it's like speed to the top, um, that linear career path. I just don't subscribe to that. I think if you want to be the strongest leader and marketer that you can, gather as wide of experiences as you can. And that doesn't mean leave the company that you're at. I actually think you can get broader experiences within a company that you've built credibility and track records to. You just have to ask for it because people aren't necessarily thinking about you for, I mean, I've said, I'll go to supply chain. I'll go to finance. I'll go to sales. I'll go to any job because even today I would do that. Um, just because I think that makes you stronger, um, the deeper you can get in more spaces. Ultimately, um, it's connecting all those dots. And also back to maybe full circle, influence. You can influence uh, more effectively when you come from a place of uh, deeper knowledge. Wise, wise words uh, spoken from Linda Lee, Chief Marketing Officer for Campbell's Soup. Linda, thank you so much for being on the show. Huge shout out to you and the whole squad there. Keep going. I know we're paying attention uh, admission and, and the rest of our audience will be as well. So thank you for being on Marketing Trends. No, thank you so much. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.